0: Happy Friday, friends, and welcome back to Rounding the News. This is your weekly news roundup presented by Rounding the Earth, a popular newsletter series written by applied statistician and educator Matthew Crawford. Don't forget to support our work with a super chat on YouTube, a rumble rant on Rumble. Let's see if I can pull up this thing for you. There you go. Or a tip on Rockfin. Okay. So we've got a packed show for you today. Let's jump right in. I have a slightly different setup today. As always, please, in the chat on YouTube, Rockfin or Rumble, let me know if there are any issues in hearing me. Okay, so let's get started. BioNTech planning mRNA cancer vaccines by 2030. Following on their overwhelming success in rapidly rolling out experimental gene therapy in the form of a so-called COVID-19 vaccine, German biotechnology company BioNTech has decided it's time to return to their roots and refocus on finishing up their vaccines for cancer. Moreover, they say they will likely be released sometime before 2030. This story, by the way, was already interesting before a plot twist that came this past Tuesday. More on that later. Now, from The Guardian. Uger Sahin and Özlem Tureci, who co-founded BioNTech, the German firm that partnered with Pfizer to manufacture a revolutionary mRNA COVID vaccine, said they had made breakthroughs that fueled their optimism for cancer vaccines in the coming years. Asked when cancer vaccines based on mRNA might be ready to use in patients, Professor Sahin said they could be available, quote, before 2030, a very important year. An mRNA COVID vaccine works by ferrying the genetic instructions for harmless spike proteins on the COVID virus into the body. The instructions are taken up by cells which churn out the spike protein. These proteins, or antigens, are then used as wanted posters, telling the immune system's antibodies and other defenses what to search for and attack. The same approach can be taken to prime the immune system to seek out and destroy cancer cells, said Turechi, BioNTech's chief medical officer. Rather than carrying code that identifies viruses, the vaccine contains genetic instructions for cancer antigens, proteins that stud the surface of tumor cells. Toreci told Kunzberg that BioNTech had learned how to manufacture mRNA vaccines faster during the pandemic and had a better understanding of how people's immune systems responded to mRNA, almost as if this has all been one large experiment. The intense development and rapid rollout of the COVID shot has also helped medicines regulators work out how to approve the vaccines. This will definitely accelerate also our cancer vaccine, she added. Now, unfortunately, guys, BioNTech's plan revolves around the premise that their COVID-19 mRNA products were a success. But how do we measure success? So BioNTech's idea of success might be some of the following. One, BioNTech was able to rush out an experimental injection with unprecedented funding, support, and pre-orders from the German government, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and the U.S. military, and of course, their partner Pfizer. Item number two, regulatory bodies worldwide, particularly the U.S. Food and Drug Administration and the European Medicines Agency, agreed to close their eyes and cover their ears, allowing the product to fly through without proper scrutiny, using a fraudulent emergency use authorization and later a Bait and switch approval with full indemnity, as we're going to get into in a little bit. Item number three, 68.3% of the world population took at least one dose of their injection. Uh, Well, maybe uh, their injection or their competitors, but a lot of people took their injection by choice or by coercion. Hooray! (sighs) Of course, there are other pieces to the puzzle putting aside the fundamental question of whether it even makes sense to refer to this product as a vaccine in the first place, the safety and efficacy of BioNTech's product was always in doubt. As has been stated many times by many people, the clinical trials for Pfizer-BioNTech's BNT162B2 product never even tried to evaluate whether the shot would actually immunize the recipient against becoming infected with the virus. Verify for yourself by reading the study in question. Heck, you can even go to PolitiFact for this one. If you can stomach the uh, expected partisan nonsense. No. The shots did not help mild or severe illness either. In fact, the treatment arm of the trial fared worse overall on all counts, including COVID-19 outcomes and death. Not to mention the tremendous increase in adverse events. I refer you once again to the more harm than good video put together by the Canadian COVID Care Alliance that dives deep into this. Now, well, it's still unclear how many mechanisms of injury there are for the COVID-19 vaccines. You know, lipid nanoparticle toxicity, Marc Girardot's bolus theory, pseudouridine problems, etc. It's not in question that the highly toxic uh, SARS-CoV-2 spike protein plays a significant, if not a leading role. The spike protein generated by the mRNA and adenoviral vector injections has been found in organs and tissues around the body where hyperinflammatory reactions have been noted and have been associated with organ damage and death. Furthermore, it is basically the mainstream narrative now that the SARS CoV 2 spike protein. Is the result of a US funded bioweapons program in collaboration with China and other countries, mind you. Whether it's attached to a virus, injected into your arm, or shedded by your vaccinated neighbor, it's still most likely a gain of function bioweapon. Remember, the people in the treatment arm of Pfizer and BioNTech's trial were hurt, injured, and killed at a rate far higher than their placebo counterparts. As Taz notes, nobody really talks about that bait-and-switch approval very much. Hopefully, it's because most people understand that it was not FDA-approved, and you notice people don't, even in the mainstream narrative, talk about that anymore. Remember, Biden... You know, President Joe Biden came out and said now they're fully FDA approved. And that's just not been asserted at all these uh, past couple of months. So I take that as a good sign. But this is something people need to understand. So with all of that in mind, we can return to the Guardian article where. Huh. Hang on a dang second. Here's that plot twist I was alluding to. (laughs) I'm going to read this tweet. Breaking update. The Guardian quietly updated their article. That's correct. In the time between my original tweet criticizing BioNTech's cancer vaccine's idea and my returning to the article to begin writing today's show, I noticed that The Guardian had surreptitiously updated their article to soften their assertion of the safety of the spike protein. Here's what the paragraph in question looked like before as captured on the Wayback Machine. As you can see, I've highlighted harmless spike proteins. And here's what I came back to two days later, also saved on the Wayback Machine. Essentially harmless spike proteins. Hmm. Now, of course, this wouldn't be as much of an issue If the Guardian had thought to let the reader know that they had corrected an earlier mistake. It's a shame that they didn't. (laughs) Now, I've reached out to the author, Ian Sample, who also happens to be the science editor for the outlet, seeking answers. I won't hold my breath. As Taz points out, journalistic fraud. There may be something to that, maybe it's just sort of a rude, deceptive thing to do. This brings me though to the crux of my point, and i've I've labeled this sub point essentially harmless cancer proteins because the the article describes the upcoming cancer vaccines like this, just as a reminder. Rather than carrying code that identifies viruses, the vaccine contains genetic instructions for cancer antigens, proteins that stud the surface of tumor cells. Now, look, in theory, the logic seems analogous to the intention for the COVID-19 gene therapies. If the transfection coded for a truly harmless or low harm subsection of the virus, then bingo. The same could apply here. A cancer antigen is essentially just another name for a biomarker. Which is used to test blood for indications of cancer. If cancer vaccines can cause the body to create antigens for a specific cancer within that patient's body, it would have to be personalized. Then I can understand how this would allow the immune system to get an extra strong signal that it needs to focus its attention on finding and eliminating any cancerous cells, finds them and kills them. My point, of course, is that BioNTech should be trusted based on the or or should is that should not be trusted. They should not be trusted on their word alone to execute the theory in a way that actually works. If the COVID-19 vaccines actually cause injury and illness analogous to severe COVID disease, then it follows that BioNTech's cancer vaccines could actually cause cancer. I'm not saying that will be what actually happens. I'm simply pointing out a reason to be very, very skeptical and approach with intense caution. In other words, I'm going to probably stay away from BioNTech's essentially safe cancer proteins for the foreseeable future. And as Quiet Coney says on Rumble, all the cancer vaccine talk leads me to believe that they knew cancer rates would skyrocket after the transfection. You know, there may be something to that. A colleague of mine named Lex has pointed out to me that If you look sort of separately from your point, but related, if you look at Pfizer's portfolio of cardiovascular medicines, it sort of makes you wonder what they knew in advance. And Johnny, it's a coincidence maybe that you bring this up because this leads us into our next topic. Johnny says this cancer medicine would make sense if it worked in a Novavax type vaccine. I'm curious what you mean by Novavax-type vaccine, but let's take a look at our next story, which is all about boosting your Novavax game. So, in case you needed a reminder for how those COVID-19 vaccines are working out, the FDA has gone ahead and emergency authorized the use of Novavax's spike protein subunit injection as a booster dose from Stat News I quote unlike the latest boosters from Pfizer BioNTech and Moderna which target both the original strain of SARS-CoV-2 and the Omicron strain uh, Omicron BA45 variants the Novavax booster only targets the original strain the company announced in late May that it was studying an Omicron targeting strain as well as a bivalent booster. But results of that work have not been revealed to date. The booster shot is authorized for people 18 and older who for medical or accessibility reasons cannot take one of the bivalent messenger RNA boosters or otherwise would not take a booster. It can, on- it can only be used as a first booster shot. Anyone who has had one or more boosters cannot opt to get this vaccine at this point the booster shot is to be given at least six months after the administration of the second dose of a primary series of covid vaccine so johnny i'm not i'm not sure if uh i'm not i'm not sure if you're in favor of the novavax shot and if you know something i don't then please feel free to tell me however what a mess so, while the article acknowledges that the BA1 and BA2 subvariants are essentially gone in the United States, they fail to point out the same about the long extinct Wuhan strain, the original one. This, despite the fact that the only strain targeted by the Novavax product is the original strain. As a final note on this, I find it both amusing and disappointing. That the author of this piece, as well as the individuals quoted within it, don't seem to at all understand the reason why so few people are lining up for booster doses of any product, whether mRNA or otherwise. As I've taken to saying, spike is spike is spike. Doesn't matter if you breathe it in, produce it in your own cells, or inject it into your muscle tissue slash bloodstream. Just say no to toxic drugs. Spike is spike is spike. I have a strong suspicion this video is going to certainly be demonetized, possibly even taken down. And that is why you're watching Unrumble primarily and Rockfin. Thank you for doing that. That uh, that helps us. So let's move into law. ASIP, stop short of adding COVID-19 shots to childhood schedule. Or not? So, on Wednesday and Thursday this week, the CDC's Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, or ASIP, convened for their three times a year meeting to talk about anything and everything vaccines. There was considerable alarm in the run-up to this particular meeting. Following the publication of a draft itinerary, That seemed to suggest the group would vote to recommend adding COVID-19 vaccines to the childhood schedule in the United States. Now, this was absolutely worthy of the concern it received. As explained by Robert F. Kennedy Jr. on Michaela Peterson's podcast late last year, vaccines that are officially recommended for children are protected from any and all liability for injury or death that they cause. While this is a concept that actually requires tremendous attention to detail to piece together where we in the where we're at in the process at this point, it appears that the addition of these non-FDA approved COVID-19 products to the childhood vaccine schedule would satisfy the requirement for official recommendation. Of course, this would mean that in theory, Pfizer and Moderna and their collaborators, like BioNTech, would not be held accountable for any of the carnage they've inflicted on millions of people around the world since mid 2020 or at least the hundreds of thousands reported in the united states and indeed Kennedy's Children's Health Defense reported yesterday that ACEP voted unanimously 15 to 0 to add COVID-19 vaccines for children as young as six months old to the new child and adolescent immunization schedules, which will be rolled out in February 2023. But did it actually happen? There seems to be some confusion about this. Let's see if we can clear it up. So this was the first article I saw. From Merrill Nass, CDC did not put the COVID vaccines on the childhood schedule today. According to esteemed bioweapons researcher Merrill Nass, ASIP did not, in fact, vote to add them in until they did. Yes, uh, in a confusing and likely deceptive turn of events, the CDC went ahead and added the COVID vaccines to the schedule anyway, after the fact. From Dr. Nass's article, I quote, There were so many extraordinary goings-on at this meeting, entirely apart from the brain-dead members and briefers who wanted to inject everyone for everything they might someday encounter somewhere. One very peculiar thing was that the FDA ex-officio member, usually Doran Fink, did not show up at either of the two meeting days. It was a Zoom meeting. Surely someone at the FDA could have Zoomed in. Was this a snub? because the CDC had decided to put a vaccine on the childhood schedule before it was even licensed by the FDA? Was CDC doing an end run around even the minimalist FDA regulatory processes now occurring? So look, folks, this is one of those events that it's going to take some time to sort through, to get to the bottom of. And I can't yet say I understand what's going on. It is important to note that even the current mainstream media reporting is unclear. Reuters, for example, stated on October 19th that while the COVID-19 shots had been added to the CDC's Vaccines for Children program, quote, health officials emphasized that they were not not voting on adding COVID-19 shots to the CDC annual vaccination schedule. They said this was a step in that direction, but did not lay out additional steps or the timeline for such a move. On the other hand, Politico reported yesterday that ACEP voted 15 to 0 to add most COVID-19 vaccines offered in the U.S. to the childhood, adolescent, and adult immunization schedules. So more to come on this. Moving into geopolitics. Oh, boy. Uh, before we do that. Uh, Johnny Nice says, sounds like hashtag no jab, no school will be a thing in some communities. I imagine a place like California could be blue enough to do this. Certainly in theory, but in my opinion, we're we're still getting closer and closer to this no longer being a a sustainable position for them to hold. Um, The idea is we stop it before it's before enough people uh, God forbid, are injured such that it becomes undeniable. We don't want to get there. It, like That's the worst case scenario. Uh, we don't want to get there. But I, I think you're right. If it's going to be anywhere, it's going to be California. Uh, and they do have laws in the books for that. Okay, so United Kingdom loses yet another prime minister. After only six weeks in office, Liz Truss has stepped down as prime minister of the United Kingdom. From CTV News, we have this. After just 45 days in office, Truss became the third conservative prime minister to be toppled in as many years, and she will go down as the shortest serving leader in British history. Her resignation extends the instability that has shaken Britain since it broke off from the European Union and leaves its leadership in limbo as the country faces a cost-of-living crisis and looming recession. Quote, I cannot deliver the mandate on which I was elected by the Conservative Party. Trust, 47, said outside her 10 Downing Street office. Can't really call it hers anymore, can she? But interestingly, this article authored by the Associated Press News Distribution Service frames the UK's instability as resulting from Brexit. My own understanding suggests that while the country's exit from the European Union surely plays some part, It is far more likely that the COVID-19 lockdowns and subsequent shattering of social and economic systems has led to Britain's current crisis. Throw in Britain's sanctions following the Russian invasion of Ukraine and you have the straw that broke Boris Johnson's or Liz Truss's or the citizens of the United Kingdom's back. And now, a quick word from our sponsor. Freedom is always worth celebrating. Ignorance has always been the weapon of tyrants, enlightenment the salvation of the free. Indeed, there is never a bad time to raise a glass in honor of our God-given freedom. We live in a time where presidents deliver red sermons of division, while prime ministers remain in office for less time than a season of She-Hulk remains on the air. (sighs) Don't sit idly by and hope for change. Don't pine for days where you could have a conversation without triggering your neighbor. Knock on their door today with a bottle of Blood of Tyrants wine in hand and toast to each other's good health. Buy your bottle at www.bloodoftyrants.wine and save $5 when you use coupon code EARTH at checkout. When you receive it in the mail and pour your first glass take a picture and tag at round earth club and at blood of tyrants w on Twitter. And we will share that picture on an upcoming episode. We can start a little trend here. Okay. Moving back into it. This is our biggest section today. Well, I guess the health one was too. Um, Look at that Pacific Northwest up in smoke. As we've previously covered actually over the last couple of weeks, because it's been an ongoing issue, the Pacific Northwest of North America has been suffering a prolonged period of drought, topped off with chart-topping air quality warnings, which you can see here. That that prior picture, that was Seattle, Washington. It is a jaw-dropping reality. As of yesterday, Seattle ranked number one in the world on the air quality index. Portland is in a close third, while Vancouver, Canada, hello, Pulls in at number 12, lower than it's been over the last week. It got pretty bad here. I still feel it in my voice. Needless to say, these scores should be interpreted like golf. The lower, the better. The, these North American megacities are in good company alongside cities in India, China, Italy, Kuwait, the United Arab Emirates, and Myanmar. Now, amidst this fine fog of particulate matter, Philanthro-capitalist Bill Gates is using this opportunity as a poignant reminder to the world that he is working on some big things in the general realm of climate change. Of course, none of them seem to address the actual health concerns that follow extended periods of inhaling smoke, instead focusing on green jet fuel that will allow him and his buddies to continue using their private jets without being labeled climate criminals which is a real thing that happened to Kylie Jenner recently. At his inaugural Breakthrough Energy Summit in Seattle, Gates and his colleagues discussed an array of projects in various stages of development to help further their goal of, quote, trying to persuade more global leaders to accelerate a shift away from fossil fuels, as stated by climate czar John Kerry, who was there. Now, some of the ventures funded through the Gates-founded Breakthrough Energy include LanzaJet, a startup company in Georgia, developing sustainable aviation fuel, or SAF. LanzaJet's technology takes ethanol from sources such as sugarcane in Brazil, where gas in China, oh, sorry, waste gas in China, waste gas. Man, that smoke's really getting to me in China, or corn in the United States, and then chemically converts it into SAF and renewable diesel. Depending on the feedstock used to make the ethanol, LanzaJet says the greenhouse gas emissions from its SAF could be as much as 85% lower than conventional fuel. Sounds like it's going to use up an already depleted supply of corn to me, but could, could work, could be a good idea, sounds good. Okay, Antora Energy of California, which is developing an energy storage system that can soak up surplus solar and wind generated electricity and deliver it to industrial customers who need to produce heat of up to 1,500 degrees Celsius. Then we have Electra, green iron with no green premium. Electra is from Colorado. And it has developed technology to use electricity in iron and steel production. The process operates at temperatures lower than a cup of freshly brewed coffee, replacing the intense heat generated by coking coal, according to Kevin Galloway, Electra's director of engineering. Then we have Blue Frontier, a Florida-based company that is developing new technology to slash use of refrigerants in air conditioning systems. The process includes energy storage so that abundant solar power produced in the middle of the day could be used later. And we have Cubic PV in Massachusetts, which is developing technologies to dramatically boost the energy harvest of solar installations And finally, Gates is also chair of TerraPower, a Washington-based company that has announced plans to build a natrium reactor cooled by liquid sodium at the site of a coal plant near Kemmerer, Wyoming that's scheduled to close. And the U.S. Department of Energy is graciously offering to pay for half of the project using your American taxpayer dollars. How nice! Now remember, folks... Sustainable development daddy cares about you. And look at that. He's even wearing his nice sustainable development goals pin. Well, that's going to do it for this week, folks. Thank you for tuning in. Don't forget to support our work with a super chat on YouTube, a rumble rant on Rumble, or a tip on Rockfin. And, of course, please subscribe to Rounding the Earth on whichever channel is your favorite. We are also on Odyssey. Bitshoot and Brighteon, as well as almost every social media channel at Rounding the Earth or at Round Earth Club on Twitter. You can find me at liamsturgis.com or at the Liam Sturgis on Twitter. And last but not least, please, if you haven't yet become a paid subscriber of the Rounding the Earth newsletter at www.roundingtheearth.substack.com. Thank you so much, everybody. I hope you have a fantastic weekend coming up. and um, in the comments, we didn't do a lot of solutions today. So what are some of the solutions to the to the problems you're encountering in your uh, in your world? Um Share them with us, and uh, we'll see you again next week.